Well, hello and welcome to episode number 433 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I am Carlos and in this week's packed show, an A320 ends up with an extra ventilation hole. Ryanair jazz up some of their fleet of Boeing 737s with some boy racer mods. And one German airline goes all VR with the Airbus A320. And in this week's military news, it's all top secret, and Armando is going to surprise us all with what's been going on in the <laughs> world of all things grey this week. Oh, is it? Or is it just because you didn't read the show notes? Is it? <laughs> well, he, hasn't, he didn't write any. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Do love a surprise. I know. And obviously, <laughs> the voice is there. Joining me this week, he's back this week. Only for one week, though. I'm not here next week. Oh, he's not here next week. Oh, <laughs> chaos, chaos will resume next week. Matt Smith, how the devil are you? Oh, I'm all right, mate. Thank you. How are you? I'm all right. I've got a beer. Um, Very good. Well, that's always a win. Yeah. I've also, oh, here it's this side, got me, uh, me poppy, um, Spitfire. Oh, very good. Yes. My little thing hit. Which yeah, I love that. That's very cool. Beer. Yeah, yeah. That is very good. Yeah. Always supporting the good cause this year, as I do every year. But this was my collection because remember the last every year they release a different uh, style of oh do they uh, the poppy pin badges yeah I've got loads in my in in the bedroom next door but this the this year extra special ones this year we've got one with the Spitfire on which is what I've got here nice and they've also released one with the Lancaster bomber on as well which ah. is is also I think they sold out within about. Ten seconds. Ten yeah. seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of them going online. Sounds about right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I'm got my surprised. Spitfire one, so I'm happy. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, so arm- it's, well, it's Armistice Day here in in the UK, yes, it so it's is. the eleventh of yes. uh, of November. So obviously, we've been paying our respects at various bits and pieces, and and uh, I'm hopefully going to be involved in a parade in this um, over the weekend. All being well, so yeah, all very exciting. Yes, yes. So, um, you had a busy week? Yeah, I don't try to think. Well, yeah, just, uh, just sort of, sort of, as I sort of said last time, I think, you know, it's the, the whole, uh, we've sort of started distributing our Christmas cases. So, oh my you know, God. Yeah. It's Christmas time. For yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. Really? Very much so. So we're very much in what we call peak at the moment, which means I can't have any time off or anything like that until January yeah. now, but that's all right. I mustn't grumble. I had loads beforehand, but yeah. So very busy at work at the moment, sort of, um, um, keeping track of 140,000 dog cases that will be, dispatched from our warehouse in the next week which is just a ridiculous number so yeah. send them here yeah right okay no 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 people people have bought them that's not the problem is <laughs> well what what can we say if, right. if dpd or hermes make a mistake you know right okay uh, you're making me awful thirsty <laughs> <laughs> yes well this week we are missing uh, two of our team members this week. I know. Uh, the glorious Neville Bounds is unfortunately not with us this week. He's busy travelling. I mean, he could be anywhere really in Europe. Let's be fair. Um, filling up his uh, his already well bounty of uh, Avios points. So <laughs> Nev can't be with us. This he week. might be spending some. You never know. <laughs> he might be spending some. Yeah. Uh, but we'll hear more about that hopefully next week when Nev is back. And uh, Armando is not with us this week. He's uh, well. Pff, Armando's doing what Armando does all the time, which is fly aircraft. Indeed. Uh, yeah. We do have a we do have a little video from him, a little introduction. So, we have got a little yeah. introduction. So, yeah. But perhaps all will be explained. You know. Yes. In that. But we have got. 
a super sub guest joining us this week. He's back. He's not been on for about a hundred years, but he's back <laughs> with us this, this week. And, uh, obviously it's everyone's favorite blue spanner wielding person <laughs> who normally, uh, right. gets rid of all the bots in the chat room for us every week. Oh, yeah. It's of course our main man, Micah. It's great to be here, and I can't remember the last time when I was here, but uh, it's always a great time to be able to visit with you guys, but it's very, very difficult to do it when I'm trying to substitute for two of the best, Armando and Nev, so uh, <laughs> I will do my very, very best. <laughs> I'm sure you will, absolutely. Now, refresh my memory, Michael, because I, I asked, I think I asked you earlier on today through message, but I, it always baffles me, especially with the time changes that we have here in the UK with the clocks going up and down and back and forward and all the rest of it. At the moment, you are four hours behind us? Five hours. It's 14.05 here. Oh, wow. There we go. Yeah, two o'clock in the afternoon. It's a beautiful day. Uh, uh, right now, 66 degrees Fahrenheit, 19 degrees Celsius. And, uh, we're just waiting for, uh, I think, well, it was Hurricane Nicole, then it became Tropical Storm Nicole, and it's going to be, uh, Subtropical Depression Nicole should be here oh. a little bit. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling a bit subtropically depressed. It's just, it's just awful. Yeah. Tony S is saying in the chat room actually that a blue spanner is so much more useful than a blue check. Oh my goodness me, hasn't that coped up? <laughs> can of worms this week uh if, if you don't know what i'm on about check twitter it's all over there uh <laughs> and, and a lovely message a lovely message as well from uh from mazoos ah look you uh, see the main man the, the main man mega sub mica uh, that that rolls off the tongue nicely doesn't it <laughs> yeah. uh, but no it's lovely to have you back with us michael what, what's been going on in the world of mica have you been traveling anywhere exciting haven't really traveled very much, but it was a wonderful summer. I can't believe it seems like summer was a day before yesterday. And now here it is already Armistice Day or Veterans Day, as they call it here in the U.S. Mm. And uh, but uh, and, and in fact, uh, with that lovely summer, uh, the, the photo behind me is of a uh, of a Stearman aircraft taking off from the Spurwink Farm pancake breakfast and fly in. That was just uh, wonderful. Uh, great time. And, uh, recently I've been working with uh, our good friend Pasadena Brian, Brian Coleman, and he's been working on his own podcast called The Journey is Reward, trying to get lifetime 1K status with United. And, uh, we have a show coming out, oh, maybe twice a month, maybe three times a month, depends on when we get to it. And he just returned from Singapore. He's doing the biggest mileage run you can imagine. He's trying to get about 200 and I think he's down. He needs 273,000 more miles to make it. And he has most of them booked already. Blimey. He could never run for his money at this rate. <laughs> no, no, quite. Mm. Indeed. But uh, no, it's good to have you on, as always, Micah. And I, I expect you, you've all, you've got plenty of, uh, uh, of um, comments to make on the stories we've got on tonight's show because we've got some quite interesting stories in the commercial news this week. But um, Matt, you've got a video uh, for us from uh, Armando, haven't you? Yes, he sends his apologies, uh, and I assume uh, the the apology will be in this video. Check out the green screen, hey everybody. Unfortunately, can't be on the show today. Um, I've actually been flying all week long. This week, I have flown the Piper Super Cruiser. Then I jumped into the skydive plane at some point, pun intended. I flew two different Pilatuses. And yesterday I flew the Hawker, uh, Hawker 800. And then today I'm back into the, into the Pilatus doing uh, a six leg trip for a client, um, private owner. So it's been a busy, busy week, uh, flying around the East Coast this, this whole week, anywhere from, uh, 40 knots to 400 knots. Um, 
So I've decided to take a day off. I'm camping up in Tennessee with the family. Again, we've taken the long weekend. It is Veterans Day weekend here in the U.S. And that being said, um, I hope all of our friends and families that served in the military, had connections to the military, go out, get yourself some hard-earned free food because there's lots of discounts out there on Veterans Day. But uh, most importantly, thank you for your service to everyone in our listenership that has served in the military and been part of the military growing up or with families and friends. And that is for all the militaries around the world, not just the U.S. military. I really, really appreciate um, everybody that has served um, in our partner forces. It's not an easy life. So that being said, I will not be on the show today, but we've got some military stories in there for you guys at the end of the show. And a great interview with Stuart Airy, uh, part two. Uh, Stuart talks to us a little bit about some of the risks associated with flying the Pilatus and the RFDS of Australia, the Royal Flying Doctor Service. So enjoy that interview, and I will see everybody the following week. Take care. Fantastic. Uh, well, as I say, I mean, you, you were saying there, Carlos, about green screen. I mean, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> me and Matt have to, me and Matt, me and Matt struggled to have like a green screen like we've got behind with a picture. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, Matt normally has a great picture on the screen behind him, but I mean, Armando has blown us out of the water there yeah, with that green yeah, screen. Absolutely. I mean, that is a, so well, you know what? As I said earlier, you know, while it's Armistice Day across the pond with you guys, it's Veterans Day here in the USA. And obviously, Armando is one of PTUK's favorite veterans. He deserves a day off. So I'm glad he's Absolutely. up there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something we do very well here in the UK, I think, isn't it? Re- remembering. I, I think that's something that. Oh, that's that, one thing we do. Yeah. Do well, few yeah. things in this country that we can be proud of these days, but that's definitely one of them. I think if, if for us, for us American uh, listeners and and for you, Mike, if you if you um, go around in the UK at this particular time of the year, you'll obviously see a lot of the villages, many, many of the small villages, even some of the small villages, which have only got like a few shops in, they all have their memorial um, uh, statues and stuff, mm. which have always got the poppy wreaths on yeah. and all the poppies on, all dressed up really, really nicely for um for the day. Absolutely. Yeah, I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine over the weekend that, uh, you know, used to be able to buy poppies and support uh, different veterans associations here in the U.S. all the time. And, and I would always do that. But neither one of us have seen poppies sold any place for, for years now. And I'm very sad about that. Oh, that is a shame. Oh, that is a shame. Yeah. yeah. It's the Royal British Legion, isn't it? That, that sort yes. of deals with it here. And, uh, yeah. They're sort of they're sort of everywhere really this time of year. It's as I say, it's great. They're 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 in like the supermarkets and everything's you know sort of flog, yeah, flogging yeah. the poppies and you know behind the bar and all sorts. You know, it's uh, it's it's good. It's good. And they raise a lot of money for a very good cause. They do. Mm. They do indeed. They do indeed. Right. And, uh, right. So it's time we missed it last week because we were so flustered with everything working so well. <laughs> Um, that we missed it last week. I didn't, have, I didn't have to do any editing. I was I was quite impressed. Oh blimey! You haven't you haven't seen the original or the the uh, full version then? Oh right. Okay. Fair enough. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's uh, it's the time of the month where we say a big thank you to all our Patreon donators of the show. Then, so uh, we're going to have a little look here at uh, this amazing bunch of people, and we'll start with uh, Sam Dawson. Uh, Logan Lynch, Alex Robinson, 
Dirk S, Sasha Beer, Stephen Ivy, Nicholas Codling, Louis Carres. Uh, pronounced that wrong. We have our Monday to do that every week. Uh, Alan White, Stephen Howland, Tanya Wyman, Nicholas Hewitt, Masha Gertz, Ruben Wells, Neil Lanwan, Graham Haley, Jonathan Warner, Eric Graves, Jordan Rose, Andrew Wilson, Captain Jeff, Adam Spink, Liz Piper, Jeff Ward, Jenny Parkinson, Evan Shue, Shortbacker, Ray Williams, and Stephanie Plummer. And our PayPal donators who donate through the PayPal means uh, this month are Craig Urosko, Richard Adams, Tony Stubbings, and Mazus Karim. And we want to welcome into our uh, Patreon family this month our new donators are Masha and Sam. So welcome to the Patreon family and a big thanks to everyone who supports the show each month because it honestly, genuinely does make a hell of a difference to what we can do on the show, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to the great interviews that uh, Nev has been doing with Captain Nick, which yeah. obviously take up a lot of uh, time and uh, a few of our funds, as to say, for mm. the show. Worth it, though. Absolutely. And also, it also don't forget as well, where Matt is in the PTUK Master Suite Studios, where he's got 400 TV monitors, 6,000 <laughs> desktop computers, oh, it all helps to pay to run all those, because as you all know, electric here in the UK... It's, yes, it's quite it's quite the expensive commodity these days. <laughs> it is, yes. Electric is like gold now. It's, yeah, like, a, yeah, it's like a yeah. gold dust. So but, fortunately, forget- but fortunately, all that equipment help, helps heat his home now. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't spend a penny on gas. Yeah. <laughs> a big thanks to all our Patreon and PayPal donators of the show. Thanks to you, one and all. And uh, we really do appreciate you all. Very much so. So it's time to move on then. We'll have a look in the quick chat room and to see who's in there this week with us. We're starting off with uh, Lee Davies was in there about uh, three hours ago waiting for us to start <laughs> the show. Hello to you, Lee. Along with Richard Adams as well, another one of our early birds in the chat room. Uh, we've got Paul Tricker. Hello to you, Paul. Good to see Paul, you. Paul, I haven't well. seen Paul for ages. And yes, Alex Robinson as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mazus Karim. Hello to you, Mazus. Alex Robinson. Hobby Time. Uh, Dirk S as well. Puebla Champ. Nice to see a new face, a new name in the chat room. So hello to you, Puebla. Nice to see you in there. He's in Mexico. My word. Mexico. Uh, Tony S. Hello to you, Bill. Hello to you as well. Microman, who is actually Neil Lamborn in disguise. <laughs> are you, are you allowed you, to say that? <laughs> I know where we are, yes. Uh, who else we got? Uh, I've missed anyone out. Oh, the boss is in, I see. Oh, Jenny Parkinson. Hello to you, Jenny. And Masha as well. Lovely to see you in there, Masha. Uh, Katie Brain's in there, Matt. Do we know, do we know her, Katie? Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. yeah, she's the boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, she's the boss. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I better not say anything nasty nope. then. And, Indeed. Uh, yeah, Quite right. <laughs> Alex Robinson and Arnie Carlson. Hello to you. And hello to everyone who's joined us this evening for the show. So, as I said, we've got tons to get through this week, we? including at the end of tonight's show, we're going to be announcing the winner of the signed book Ooh, yeah. uh, from the competition that Nev set last week. We're going to run a regular book competition on the show because we have got rather a lot of aviation books we have. to give away on the show. <laughs> so we're going to be, we're going to be probably um, doing another book competition on next week's show. So make sure you keep your eyes Ooh. peeled. So if, all the teams ready, Indeed. including including our super sub, Micah. Is, shall we start the commercial news? Oh, I think we should. I'm, 
I'm mainly ready. Let's go. <laughs> See what you did there. Let's <laughs> turn on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. So this week's first story comes to us from One Mile at a Time, Kaliji Times, and Reuters.com. And it's one of those things, I think, that uh, you don't want to be hearing, especially if you're on board an aircraft ready to uh, to leave uh, the departure area. And that is uh, all about U.S.-bound Emirates 777s that diverts, uh, diverted over security threats this week. So two Emirates flights experienced significant operational delays to their departures from Athens on Thursday this week due to alleged security threats. EK-209, operating from Athens to Newark, departed as planned and for the first 90 minutes operated the standard routing. While flying over Sardinia, the plane entered an extended holding pattern. Eventually, the 777 started to fly back towards Athens. However, it didn't take the same routing back. Instead, the plane flew exclusively over water rather than land, which caused a significant detour. Furthermore, the plane it, uh, uh, landed back in Athens roughly four hours and 20 minutes after takeoff and was escorted by fighter jets. According to the Greek media, the Central Intelligence Agency, or the CIA, as we refer to it here in the UK and in the US, uh, had a reason to believe that there was a passenger on board who posed a threat to the plane. Ooh. Italy and France both allegedly refused to allow the plane to land in their respective countries. The fact that the plane had to fly over open water paints a pretty grim picture of what may have been suspected here. Typically, in the event of a diversion, it's not normal for the plane to avoid land the entire way to the destination airport. And according to passengers, when the plane landed back in Athens, who who, uh, had originated in Athens, were allowed to disembark first, while those who had connected from Dubai had to stay on board the aircraft. EK-210, which landed from Newark and was departing Athens bound for Dubai, was also called to return to the stand prior to their takeoff from uh, Venezuelos Airport. Uh, a thorough security inspection of the aircraft and passengers was conducted. The aircraft departed four hours delayed. Reuters reports that Greek police said the aircraft were ordered back to Athens as part of an information inquiries from the US, but following checks of the passengers and the aircraft, they did not find the person the information was about or anything else suspicious. Passengers on flight EK-209 uh, were rebooked, uh, to travel on November the 11th and provided overnight accommodation and Emirates apologised for any inconvenience caused, the airline spokesman said. I mean, well, with anything like this, I mean, it has to be 100% taken seriously, doesn't it? Because, uh, you know, they, you, they you, do, just, yeah. you just don't know, do you? This is the thing. So you don't want to be the airline that sort of thing, oh, no, it's a load of nonsense and then get it wrong. Because, you know... Yeah, you you have to take those things seriously. And the fact that they diverted it over water the whole time with fighter jets, armed fighter jets, I'm sure, uh, following it so that if anything happened on board and they tried to crash it, uh, it wouldn't crash over land. And if the fighter jets had to take it down, it was going to go into the water and not affect anyone else. That's pretty frightening when you think about it. Mm. Mm. Very serious. Yeah. 
So yeah, so that, I mean, these are, these are triple sevens as well. Don't forget, these aren't you know, this is you know, these three, aren't baby planes. Three hundred, yeah, three hundred plus passengers. You know, yeah, board, indeed, you know. big numbers, big numbers. It's um, yes. now that there are some notes which I won't read out in there, but uh, it, I think it worth saying uh, what he was saying. Essentially, the gist of it in in the articles was that there's an awful lot of hearsay um, in, in this particular thing, and there are some things that don't sort of quite add up. Um, as far as he's concerned, I mean, you guys, you know, you know the industry better than we do. There are sort of some, uh, you know, maybe some creative reporting, perhaps, uh, is probably the best way to describe it. It, it wouldn't it, yeah. surprise me, yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is that anything that came out of the CIA or, or if it came from MI5, we're not going to get the whole story. And they no. said they didn't get anyone. Who knows whether they got someone or not, you know, but we're not yeah. going to get the whole story and we shouldn't get the whole story. These no. things are supposed to be uh, kept quiet kept from the yeah. public. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. Yeah. Ne- I next agree. time I-, I won't go on the aircraft and demand to be let into the flight deck. To oh, it's you again, in it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what are you like? Um, All right. We'll move on to the next story then. Now, I like this one. I found this one this week and uh, this is good news because it made me smile. Right, okay, I'm not quite sure why. Anyway, it's on the Telegraph, uh, where this story came from. Telegraph.co.uk is the website. And Logan Air, Britain's biggest regional airline, has been handed lucrative takeoff and landing slots at Heathrow following sanctions against Russia's flag carrier Aeroflot. Uh, it's, what's that say? He's got, sorry, I've got this mental image of Matt and Carlos having to climb over a mountain of aviation themed books to get to their microphones. That is indeed very true which is why we which is why we're going to give them all away alex so that you have to climb over them to get to your microphone there so that's what but anyway uh the allocation made by a central coordinator will come as a boon to millionaire bond brothers that own logan air who have recently put the airline up for sale slots at heathrow are highly sought after once allocated airlines can choose to sell or lease them to a third party the highest price paid for a single pair of slots at the airport was uh something in the region of 75 million dollars that's 66 million pounds when oman air uh, acquired rights to a morning arrival in february 2016 from air france klm Airflot held 70 weekly slot pairs at Heathrow prior to Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine in February. The state-owned airline was stripped of them as part of sanctions against Russia. Airflot is banned from landing at UK airports. Virgin Atlantic, uh, Virgin Atlantic was among the other beneficiaries of Airflot's slots being reallocated, the Evening Standard reported on Monday. The transatlantic airline brought forward plans to fly to Tampa, launching its inaugural service to Florida City last week. Canada's WestJet, China Airlines, Colombian carrier Avancia and India's Vistara also shared in what's being described as a slots windfall to airlines at the airport. This is fantastic news, I think, personally. Um, It's great... more to the point for Logan Air, because yeah. it's about time Logan Air had a 
a bit more good news. Do you know what I mean? You know, well, I mean, that, I mean, I, I don't know how much more good news they could get, really. I mean, it's like you know, they paid off their coat. It's still, yeah, I know, but that's because that's because they want to retire. I, you know, they're not trying to sell it because there's anything wrong with the airline. In fact, it's exactly the opposite of that, as I, th- I think we said not last week, but the week before. Of course, they they paid back like they so the government were the offering COVID, COVID loan, loans yeah. and all that kind of thing, and they paid it off. Not only have they paid it off, but they paid it off two years early. You know, so I mean, this is not an airline that is in in financial trouble in any way, shape, or form. They're literally selling it as the ultimate going concern. And if you if you throw into the mix the you know like the gold the gold dust that is you know a Heathrow uh, slot or yeah. two, uh, yeah. you know a, pe- a couple couple of slots there. I mean, surely somebody's going to be right getting the checkbook out now, if only to bag their bag themselves the slot. It'd be interesting to see, actually. I haven't had a chance to look yet to see what destinations Logan Air are going to, if they're going to offer more destinations from Heathrow. I mean, I presume they would have had to have put a plan in in order to be able to yeah. apply for the slots. So there must be some plan in, you know, in, in the mix, I guess. But but I'm not familiar with... I'm not familiar with Logan Air. What kind of aircraft do they fly and where do they fly around the UK? I, I'm just, I've never heard of them before other than on the show on occasion. So it's a, a little regional airline, basically. They mostly do, uh, internal hops, don't they? So they do a lot of sort of, uh, flying to some of the islands. It's a Scottish based, uh, air, airline. Um, and, uh, they do yeah, do, they do do some, um, uh, routes abroad, don't they? But. So they've, they've currently, Micah, they're currently using the Saab 340s as, as their staple of their fleet, but they're now in the process of binning off the 340s, the Saabs, the 340Bs, and they're, they are gradually getting, uh, all new ATRs, the ATR-72s. Oh, that's great. Yeah. No, I'm really glad that those slots got filled up again because, you know, we need to keep our friend Adam very busy. Absolutely. I mean, we'd hate for him to be able to have time to have a coffee or anything like that. I mean, that'd be outrageous, wouldn't it? <laughs> the, the, the amusing thing is that Matt knows this as, as well as I do because you've been up the towers. Yes, before. yes, yes. But when you're standing up the top of that tower at Heathrow, uh, looking down at the aircraft, taxing around below, I mean, the A380 looks big any bloody, you know. Looks yeah, big. yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, but when you look at the A318s and the A319s, A320s, they look tiny, tiny yeah. little things. Imagine how big the ATR-72s look, because they're even <laughs> smaller. Than that. I mean, it's going to be like looking at little tiny, you know, chess pieces so these are little turbo props aren't they these yeah, 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 yeah absolutely yeah. and it's a, i mean that must be quite a cha- again all jokes aside must it must be quite the challenge for the uh uh air traffic controllers to get the separation like you know in place because um, they they aren't going to be very fast are they exa- exactly matt is what i'm about to say you you've yeah. got to remember that nearly i'd imagine at least what 95% of what flies out of heathrow is 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 powered by it's jet, is by yeah. jet engines mm. you know these are obviously propeller um powered aircraft so um yeah. and they're going to have to keep the separation up too from the turbulence coming from the larger planes if oh, they're absolutely. following behind yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely it's, i'm going to uh, say a quick hello to ray davis before he he disappears oh. hello to ray <laughs> davis it's, it's obviously it must be about what pff, i don't know 2 or 3 in the morning or something where um where ray is He's off, um, he's off to take an hour's drive to head down to the air show. Ooh. Photos and video, hopefully. He posted, oh, he's gonna, gonna send us some pictures and photos. Oh, do, please, yes, do. Well done, Ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love, love it. Those. Yeah, definitely Thank need you, to see those, yeah. 
It's six thirty in the morning where he is. Oh, oh that's God. not. No, that's six. Six thirty is fine. I've been up since ten to five. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. Same here. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, quite absolutely. Yeah, that's just a standard day. Uh, anyway, so, uh, Micah, you've got the next story, and uh, this is a little bit. When I found this one, I thought, um, yeah. Yeah, this is a little scary. Uh, Middle East Airlines A320 was hit by a bullet in Beirut. Now, this incident happened yesterday. That was uh, November 10th. And Middle East Airlines uh, MEA flight ME311 from Amman to Beirut. Uh, the flight was operated uh, by a roughly uh, 11-year-old Airbus with a uh, registration code of ODMRM. And the plane was finishing up a 147-mile, 40-minute flight. It was on final approach to Beirut uh, at, um, I guess that's Beirut Rafik, and it's the Harare uh, International Airport. And out of nowhere, the plane was hit by a bullet, which pierced the top of the right forward part of the fuselage. Now, fortunately, there were no injuries, though a Lebanese lawmaker was seated in uh, in seat 2F, uh, and reports was that the bullet entered the fuselage above her head. But I can't imagine anybody would have known that. I can't imagine that was intentional. Now, while a full investigation hasn't been performed, it's more likely uh, that this wasn't intentional, just as I had said. Uh, on average, seven to eight parked planes are hit by stray bullets each year in Beirut Airport, which is another reason why I'm not sure I want to visit Beirut. Um, that's because oh, yes, uh, anyway. <laughs> it's because of celebratory gunfire is a common occurrence in Lebanon. As guns are oh, often wow. fired to mark speeches by politicians, to release official exam results, and more. Uh, and earlier this year, an uh, Aegean Airlines has suspended flights to Beirut after one of its planes also got struck by a bullet while parked at the airport overnight. It's just amazing. But you know what I thought of right away, and I'm saying this for Jonathan Warner if he's listening, because I bet you he had the same thought, is that if Middle East Airlines abbreviation is ME and it was flight ME311, I wonder if they have a flight ME109, which would be a Messerschmitt. (laughs) I like what you did there, Micah. Very good. Totally lost on me. <laughs> uh, it's it's an old World War Two uh, fighter plane, Matt. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, it was yeah. the it was the reference. It was no, I, no, I, I knew I, what the aircraft was. I'm not that bad. <laughs> it was more the more the reference of the of the numbers, but that that's. I mean, we, we've we've covered. I think we've covered maybe one or two ish stories like this in the past. I think by memory, mm. but you know. The the fact the 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 hole is from the the top of the aircraft rather than being from the side or from below, mm. you know it does suggest that possibly it, it was something that was fired directly up in the air. Then obviously as the, as it has come back down mm. again as a projectile, it's obviously pierced the skin yeah. of the aircraft. Mm. But uh, still, it's not something you really want to have when you're pressurized at sort of above sort of 15,000 feet. Really. I mean, presumably a small hole like that is, um, you know, the the aircraft pressurisation system can handle that. I don't know. It doesn't Continue. say. The report doesn't say. I, I think I read the – because Simon Hereckley had it on the Aviation Herald website. I think it was on there. But it says yeah. it was on final approach, so the odds yeah. are it was at an altitude where pressurization didn't even really matter. Right, yes, I see. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But, you know, they say we have a uh, a gun problem here in the USA. It sounds like uh, Lebanon probably has a slightly larger one than we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's no, there's no updates on the Aviation Herald up, uh, about it either, but, um, yeah, to say anything like that. But like I said, it was on approach to land, so that mm. obviously the aircraft would have been – 
you know, the pressure would be a lot different to what it would be if it was above, you know, sort of 15, 20,000 feet. Yeah. And as Richard Adams says in the, uh, in, in the chat room, it is uh, kind of a uh, very common tradition that uh, in the Middle Eastern countries that, uh, uh, that it's, that you fire uh, guns up in the air at, at wedding and other celebrations. And in fact, this is, uh, has been an issue in the past in Detroit in the USA because there's a large uh, Middle Eastern population there. And, uh, and it's just kind of, it's sort of like fireworks on the fourth of july uh that's sort of part of the celebration that takes place yeah hmm <laughs> so moving on to the next story this was uh, quite a big story in the news this week as well um with some quite disturbing pictures actually of the aircraft itself this is uh, from av herald reuters.com and simple flying uh, dot com and uh, this is the precision air service atr 42 we've just been talking about atrs haven't we uh, the atr 42-500 registration five hotel papa whiskey foxtrot uh, performing flight pw494 from dar es salaam to bakoba in Tanzania, with 39 passengers and four crew, was on approach to Bacoba's runway 13 at around 8.53 uh, Lima time. The aircraft overshot Bacoba's runway 13 and came to a stop uh, submerged in Lake Victoria around 100 metres or 330 feet past the end of the runway, with the aircraft approximately 80% submerged in the lake, nose down. 24 survivors and 19 fatalities, unfortunately, amongst them the captain and first officer of the flight, uh, were confirmed. The two pilots survived the crash and were in touch with rescue workers from the cockpit before reporting that their oxygen supply was dwindling. Albert Chamila, chief administrator of Tanzania's Kraga region, told Reuters... Uh, they were dead when rescue workers reached them, but the two flight attendants survived, he said. Uh, survivors reported the aircraft had been approaching Bacoba in heavy rain. The approach was turbulent and the crew aborted the approach, uh, climbed back, then announced they would try another approach. And if that failed, they would need to return to Dar es Salaam. Uh, the aircraft was on final approach again when they suddenly found themselves in the water. Uh, the cabin filled rapidly with water and a flight attendant opened the emergency exit in the back where they were able to get out of the aircraft after some time when they were picked up by canoes and fishing boats. Emergency workers uh, this week, uh, towards the end of this, well, I think it was yesterday, have uh, now lifted the aircraft out of the lake using ropes and cranes with local people offering to help and support as well. So I think this is another one of those weather-related um, incidents. Again, I think we've had quite a few of this year with uh, overruns. I didn't see what the metars were for the actual airfield. I think it did say... Oh, I'm just looking at action. Bring up on this off of me now. Uh, reduced, vis- uh, reduced visibility to 200 metres... Apparently, oh gosh, that's quite low. On their approach, um, winds were at 17 knots with heavy rain, and the clouds were at a thousand feet broken. So it's, it was not the greatest place no. to land, really. You know, I do have a question for you guys. I'm curious how you guys do it. You know, we've had discussions about uh, Qatar and whether it's Qatar, whether it's Qatar, and I wouldn't want to put the accent on the wrong syllable. Uh, so I'm wondering if you guys say, is it Tanzania or Tanzania? Tanzania. Tanzania is the is the pronunciation yeah. I've heard and are familiar with. Yeah. 
I've, I've heard both, and I usually say Tanzania, but I also say Caribbean as opposed to Caribbean, so right. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean, yeah. Funny one, really, isn't it? I, yeah, I don't know what the um, how you should do it, really. Uh, Alex Robinson says, 200 metres, were they doing an auto land? Oh, really? I don't know. Oh. I'm, just, I'm just quickly reading through the report. Which I don't know if the ATR has auto land. Mm, true. And there was no, according to uh, Captain Jefferson in the chat room, they talked about this uh, prodigiously. They did a great job covering it on uh, on the show that was recorded yesterday. There was uh, there was no ground based navigation available to them. Yeah, that's what I've got here in front of me. Yeah, no in- no instrument approaches published for Bacoba, and there's no ground based navigation aids. But I'll tell you what, aircraft does have auto land, Micah. Captain, that- Jeff would, Captain Jeff would know this as well. Which, which aircraft pioneered Autoland? I don't know. Could it be an L-1011? Oh, oh Micah. For goodness sake. Micah. He, he guessed. He's so good, isn't he? He's so good. What? You mean, other than the fact that you're absolutely obsessed with the L-1011 <laughs> and therefore any excuse to shoehorn it into any well, kind another, of reference? It's another, it's another, um, feather in the many, or many feathers in the cap of the L-1011 was it was the, it was the pioneer of Autoland. No, I re- I do remember Captain Jeff saying how much he loved to fly it and how it was an aircraft that was way ahead of its time. Yep. Very true. Yeah. So, Micah, you've got the next story, and it's good news. Yes, it is. There are plans to rebuild the world's largest airplane have been confirmed. And for Avgeek's destruction of the world's largest commercial plane was one of the key images at the start of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And in February, the Antonov AN-225 was attacked at its base in uh, Hostomel in Kiev. It's not Kiev anymore. It's Kiev. Uh, the dream will never die, tweeted the manufacturers when it was destroyed. Now it looks like they have stayed true to their word, with the company announcing that plans to rebuild it are underway. Nickname, Mariah? I'm guessing. Um, M-R-I-Y-A. I'm going to say Mariah. Ukrainian for dream. The massive plane was built in the 1980s to carry the Soviet space shuttle. Its later life was slightly less glamorous, but it was equally iconic. It was the world's largest cargo transporter with around twice the hold capacity of a Boeing 747. It won cult status among uh, self-styled av geeks. It stretched 84 meters or 275 feet with a wingspan of 88.4 meters. On Monday, however, the Antonov company announced in a tweet that the rebuild project had already begun with design work already in the offing. While it has been estimated that the repair costs, the company predicted the bill will be about 500 million euros, or that's 502 million dollars, to get it back in the air, promising more information after the victory. Already, the company has around 30 percent of the components needed to build a new one. And the process of rebuilding it is considered an international project with the participation of aviation enterprises of different countries around the world. Uh, the possibility of attracting funds from various sources is being considered and proposals from many organizations that are ready to join the project are being reviewed. The company said it would coordinate the research, design and assembly and confirmed that there are still main airframe units for a new plane that have not been destroyed. The program is developing in the direction of carrying out an expert assessment of these units for subsequent calculations and design work, the company wrote, adding that the build would take place immediately after the victory of the Ukraine. Uh, 
The announcement coincides with the launch of an exhibition dedicated to the plane at Leipzig Hale uh, Airport in Germany, uh, which is home of five other Antonov aircraft. Light and Shadow, the Antonov story, shows photos of the aircraft before and after its destruction, focusing on the engineering prowess uh, that was lost when it was attacked. It will be on display until the end of December. In the meantime, if you're missing this aircraft, you can build your own, or at least your own model. Ukrainian startup Metal Time is selling working mechanical designs, uh, design kits of an AN-225. Each cost $99, and the profits go straight to Antonov to fund the rebuild, as well as the rehousing of Antonov employees whose homes have been destroyed by the Russian invasion and training for new Ukrainian pilots and aviation engineers. And that is a good news story. Love that. I really do. I've got, I've got to say, I know it's a big aircraft. Well, it's the biggest in the world. But that's one hell of a repair or uh, a bill to um, rebuild. It really is uh, amazing what they, they use that for. I mean, it, it's they, they carry oil rigs back and forth to Abu Dhabi. 140 tons of compressors go from South Korea to France. It's like the only thing that can carry these things. It's an amazing aircraft. So and, and presumably as a result, of course, the people who were using said aircraft to do those exact tasks must be really, you know, must be a real logistical challenge to I, overcome it. I'd imagine it's been, I expect they're probably using ships now, mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shipping to do it, yeah, which is obviously a lot slower. Slower, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it had a capacity of 253,000 uh, tons, I think Good is what it's saying. Me. Yeah, uh, that, that, I'm sorry, 559,580 pounds is what, uh, what I've got here. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, big number. Yeah, big number. Impressive. Okay, we'll take that. Yeah, Dirk, Dirk S makes a good point actually in the chat room. There is that, that was featured quite in the, in the news quite a bit when that all happened that there is a, uh, an unfinished airframe. Oh, is in, there? A hangar in the Ukraine. Yeah, it is. It, I think it was the, the main, bulk of the fuselage is is all um there i think it's missing engines and obviously components mm. and and bits but there is kind of a you know a second one there which i think they may which may may work on so. yeah indeed well let's yeah. hope they do because there's a hope, fingers so, crossed because we want to see it back yeah it's such an iconic yeah. aircraft isn't it you want to sort of see it back so in. matt you've got the next news story and again it's good news Indeed, it is uh, on the gazettelive.co.uk and the headline is Plans for £25 million maintenance facility and jet centre at Teesside Airport that could create 200 jobs. A new development for aircraft maintenance at Teesside International Airport is set to create hundreds of new jobs. Global aviation giant Willis Lease Finance Corporation, WLFC, and wholly owned subsidiary Willis Aviation Services Limited WASL have now lodged planning documents for a maintenance facility and a state-of-the-art jet centre at the airport's aviation village. The investment, worth £25 million to the UK, is set to bring a significant number of jobs to Teesside, according to the Tees Valley Combined Authority, the TVCA. Part of the 49-acre stretch of the main terminal building was originally earmarked for housing. It was bought for £5 million as part of the deal to bring the airport back into public ownership in 2019. The Aviation Village on the stretch 
is set to include five hangars for aircraft maintenance, repair and overhaul, MRO, and painting operations, as well as a fixed-based operation building for business aviation, the Jet Centre. Access to the complex would be from St George's Way, and and the project is expected to create as many as 200 jobs. I mean, that's got to be good news, isn't it? Good news, yeah. This is, this is good news, especially, yeah. you know, that neck of the woods as well, and at Teesside Airport. Well, just lost is... one over sort of Doncaster Way, haven't yeah, you? you know, exactly, uh, yeah. Was it Doncaster, whichever one it was that was shut? It was, yeah, Doncaster. Wasn't yeah. It? Uh, yeah. Which it, was it Le- Leeds and Doncaster, wasn't it, or something? Because it was, oh, I don't know, anyway, which, yeah. Yes, we should know, really. Been we sh- we should, yeah, we? yeah, absolutely. This is where we miss, where, this is where we miss John, isn't it? Who miss will John, have, yeah, yeah. Who will have but, told us, um, that, yeah. 200 jobs, though, is, is really good. That's, mm. that's what we like to see, more jobs being, especially in the current climate with things as they are. Um, let's just hope they push this through quick. Yeah. Because we know how, how quickly they can build um, things in this country. <laughs> one, thing we can, one thing we can do, I mean, if you just picture the, the, the current state, map that's just a, a, not more than a quarter of a mile just that way, it, you know, they, they built all those houses in about 10 minutes. Across, I mean, uh, I have to say, uh, my experience of anything involving building is the exact opposite of that. I have to be seeing. Oh, Leeds and Bradford, apparently. Um, yeah, Mark Leeds has just said on WhatsApp. Shot, Sheffield. <laughs> Dirk Guess. Chef. <laughs> to put that one up. Dirk Guess is saying, Chef. Chef Aster Don Donsfield. Oh, very close. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, that'll do. Yeah, close enough for folk. <laughs> oh, and uh, Andy Wilson is in the uh, in the chat room. We're going to oh, say hello to Andy this, this evening. Hello to you, Andy. Oh, very good. But anyway, good news. Jobs yeah, as well absolutely. as to see in the aviation industry. Yeah. That is the most important 100%, thing here. Hundred uh, percent. Next story. This is uh, oh, we're going to go tech for this one. Matt will love this story. Oh, here we go. I th- when I found this, I thought this is definitely a story that Matt will love to comment on. So this is um, from FlightGlobal.com, and Lufthansa are launching Airbus virtual reality cockpit training for the Airbus A320. So Lufthansa Group is to serve as the launch customer for a virtual reality procedure trainer for pilots being developed by Airbus. This will be a good one for Andrew Wilson, won't it? Uh, the Airbus intends the system... I don't think that's, a, a, I don't think that's the same... And, is that, a different, is that yeah. a different Andy, is that? We have two Andys, don't oh, we? Oh, we have two Andys, don't yeah. we? Yeah. Airbus intends the system to allow pilots to undertake procedure training without the use of a flight sim or fixed training equipment. The airframer, sh- uh, airframer showed off the development at the European Airline Training Symposium in Berlin this month. Uh, Airbus says the system system immerses pilots in an authentic virtual cockpit through a visual headset that enables full interaction with the instruments, switches and levers. The virtual pro, uh, procedure trainer allows pilots to perform repeated drills, building physical muscle memory and sequence knowledge of the Airbus Standard Operating Procedures, or SOPs, as we like to say here. Uh, use of virtual systems will reduce dependence on simulators and the fixed devices, uh, which obviously cost a lot of money as well. And Lufthansa Group 
Head of Aviation Training Development, Gilad Skelboff, says the system will be used for A320 pilots across various interactive platforms. The resulting training enhancements will further enable uh, to you, us to use case, uh, further cases as well as regulatory acceptance. Uh, Airbus Vice President of Flight Operations and Training, Fabrice Hamel, said the system has shown pilots have demonstrably learned procedures more effectively and efficiently. This potential enables type ratings courses for cockpit crews to be shortened, and Hamel adds that the tool provides flexibility by enabling pilots to train alone or together online. Now, I will say the picture that comes with this story is um, slightly interesting, I will say. I just get very curious about things like this because in some ways I'm wondering if we're going to a point or coming to a point where we're no longer really training pilots, we're training aircraft operators. And and how much uh, experience do these people really get? Uh, It's not that it may not be safe um, and and the pilots or the aircraft operators may not be able to fly the, the aircraft safely. I'm not saying that. But um, I'd really like to have a pilot on deck that's really trained as a pilot and understands what flying is all about uh, in case of an emergency, because those do come up on occasion. Yeah, Dirk S is saying in the chat room, how do they push buttons then? No haptic feedback. True. 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 Yeah, very yeah, true. Yeah, very true. Um, I mean, what's, what's worrying me, really, is the fact that the pilots on this p- picture that Matt's got up on the screen have no legs arms um, i mean that's that's trouble yeah. Although, a- andy just put up something in the chat room maybe you could put that up on the screen and uh and and, and that that's a really good uh good, uh, good thought he says mm. that in his opinion uh he likes it he says it expands opportunities to learn procedures alone at home and when he did his type rating many years ago he had to do it in a cardboard bomber uh just touching bits of paper so that <laughs> does make sense it does make sense absolutely while we are speaking it is the andy it is andy andy, the, is the, andy. yeah absolutely is andy. and uh yeah he he just sort of said uh, uh the message said enjoying a beer in my pub watching you reprobate there you go <laughs> <laughs> oh hello I, I beg your pardon Dirk <laughs> oh my <laughs> honestly he, how many how many pilots do you know that have an actual pu- or pub in, in their home only an the cool only it's a, proper, it's a proper pub Michael. it is yeah, yeah. Not, a, not a fake one no no, no I, I, only the cool pilots have that in their home I think that's the way to, that's the best I'm, way to I'm still it. waiting patiently for Andy to get a piece, a piece of one of his um, airlines um, aircraft right. to hang above the bar. Right. Okay. Right. Yes. Yeah. I think you'll be waiting a very, very long time for that. I know. I keep. I do yeah. keep pestering. You're the. You, yeah, I was going to say you're the only one that's like, you know. I. I think if you're working with them day in day out, I don't. I don't know if I would be wanting to be sticking stuff up all on my wall. As a no, result, no. to be fair, but uh, there we go. Now, Micah, you've got the next story from thepointsguy.com, and uh, we're over your neck of the woods for this one. Yes, you are, as United trolls Southwest boarding process in an unusual ad campaign. United Airlines wants to help you avoid Southwest Airlines' dreaded C boarding group. Yes, you read that correctly. The Chicago-based carrier is launching an unusual ad campaign uh, on Thursday, offering up courtesy reminders to Southwest passengers to remember to check in 24 hours before their flights in order to snatch a more desirable boarding group. 
Travelers can go to notgroupc.com and get a call from United in time for the check-in window. Hello, United. Uh, hello, United here, reminding you to check in for your Southwest flight so you don't end up boarding in Group C, the call says. Re- a recording of which was provided to the points guy ahead of the campaign launch. For your next flight, think about giving United a fly. We let you choose your seat in advance. Southwest is unique among most U.S. carriers in that it does not assign seats. Instead, it assigns boarding numbers in three groups, A, B, and C, based on the order which passengers check in, travelers, and line up in the gate area according to their boarding group. There are some ways to avoid the dreaded C group, such as having Southwest status or purchasing business select fares or early bird check-in. However, United would like to add in, add in its new tongue-in-cheek reminder service what it calls Kurt. Courtesy call to that yeah. toolbox. We're sounding a lighthearted alarm to remind travelers who may not choose United that there's an easier way to travel, Maggie Schmieren, United's managing director of advertising and social media, said in a statement. Ideally, next time these travelers are flying, they don't need a 24-hour notice to check in because they've chosen to fly with United, where customers can select their seat in advance and therefore avoid the consequences of ending up in the competition's boarding group C. (laughs) The new digital campaign is going live in three markets where United competes aggressively against Southwest. Travelers based in Houston, Denver, and Chicago will see the ads on their computer screens and smartphones. But, you know, what United doesn't say is that if you do fly United, then you have to pay to check your bag where Southwest gives you two for free. What United doesn't say is that, oh, I don't know, in Group C, or rather their what they call good seats, which is a basic economy, it's standard legroom way in the back of the plane where group C is going to be anyway. You don't get um, preferred seating necessarily. You're going to end up in the middle anyway because those are the cheapest seats around. And plus, you're going to be paying more for it. So this is a kind of a crazy campaign from my perspective. Not that I'm a big fan of uh, – I mean, Southwest is very equitable. Everybody's treated the same way. And if you check in or you pay for it, you can get the early boarding. But you're not going to have to pay for carry-ons, and you're not going to have to pay for a check bag. And well, anyway, I won't go into it any further. It's really a dastardly advertising. Who, who's your personal favorite then, Mike? Dare I ask? Oh, I always fly Acme. Uh, ah. Okay, <laughs> All right. fair enough. There we go. Cap- Captain Jeff has just transferred uh, ten million pounds into your. Right. Oh, very good. Excellent. <laughs> your, your very good. good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I must say that uh, I truly I. Uh, I hate most all U.S. airlines about equally. Oh, I mean, um, yeah, that, I mean that's that's a balanced opinion. That's what I like about that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, they 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 are um they they they're mostly all crap, and there's either the cream of the crap or the crap of the crap. Mm. Indeed, Cap- Captain Jeff is very happy with your. He's answer. very pleased. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yay, Mike! Are he saying yeah? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, back in the day, Matt, do you remember when you used to have your your first car and you'd uh, you'd put alloys on or spoilers on the boot or mm-hmm. wheel trims or put go faster stripes along the side to make it go yes. no faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And stuff. So this next story, Ryanair of. Uh, cotton on to our idea i think have they right what but what by putting uh you know six by nines in the parcel shelf and <laughs> yeah. and uh and that sort of thing yeah absolutely you know st- car stereos that were worth more than the car that sort of exactly. thing yeah okay very good uh the uh website is flightglobal.com and the headline is ryanair to retrofit uh i want to say skimitar 
Scimitar. Scimitar winglets onto the 737-800 fleet to cut fuel burn. Budget carrier Ryanair is to retrofit Scimitar winglets across more than 400 Boeing 737-800s in its fleet in order to trim fuel consumption. Uh... Budget, uh, the retrofit program will commence during the winter season, the airline states and, uh, represent an investment of more than $200 million. Scimitar winglets are an evolution of the blended winglet of the 737 and incorporate curved, uh, aerodynamic tips and ventral, sh- uh, strake whatever that means. I don't really understand what that is. Ryanair said that the agreement covers 409 aircraft and will cut fuel burn by 1.5%. Is it though? I mean, how genuine, I mean, I I don't know if this is where we sort of wish we had sort of uh, Armando here, but I mean, how realistically, how much of a saving do these, I mean, they're claiming 1.5% you know, oh no, that that's about right. What what it? the wingtips do is they they prevent uh, uh, wingtip vortices, and what the wingtip vortices is is at the the end of the wings, there you know air circles around mm-hmm. and and it, it ends up pushing down from on top, and you end up getting uh, less lift, and this actually increases the efficiency of the wing. It actually it's almost like extending the wing without necessarily extending it, and it right. definitely saves on fuel burn. Now I'm sure what what they did is they calculated the cost of these uh, additional wingtips. Uh, compared to the amount of fuel that they would save, and they can easily calculate that because they have some aircraft that already have them on there and see how much they're burning. And they calculated the difference, and they saw that it's going to um, to save them money. Uh, now, they also are probably going to advertise this if I were them. I'd be talking about how they're saving the environment by burning less fuel. But let's face it, it has nothing to do with saving the environment. It has to do with how much cash they're going to save. Well, so yeah, I don't know if you can see this, but... Um... Yep. Whether you can see there, no, they are what you class as scimitar winglets. So they're the, oh, um, I see. Kind of yeah. do the V shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. V, yeah. So if you, that's on the max, by the way, that is. Um, so if you look at the, um, let's say, for instance, the 75s, I think, um, Delta Airlines 757s, I think most 757s have them though. They have what you call the sharklets that come up. I mean, the, the original, the 737 Ryanair had the sharklets. Which go off in like a like a um, you know like a sharklets kind of affair. Um, so that's the difference between the two. The scimitar ones are supposed to be even more well, supposed to save even more money, as the, as right. the story said. So, and they look quite cool as well. To be fair, the scimitar ones. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. But um, I mean, you cast your mind back to you know the early nineties. Uh, mid 90s and stuff you know most airliners didn't really have there wasn't sort of such a thing as you know winglets you know the the wings used to just come off at the end and just taper and that that was it and now it's sort of very much you know now sort of standard a, almost yeah, yeah, yeah. Standard thing yeah and they're always designing different style of ones i mean the a330s have a different style one as well if you look mm. at the ends have a different style well, I think uh, it's um, Boeing that has winglets, and uh, the uh, Airbus. Airbus has sharklets. Sharklets, yeah. Uh, okay, right, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Micah, you have got the last story in uh, the commercial news segment this week, and we thought we'd save you 
the best story to finish off the commercial segment for this week. I love the story, especially after the story about Beirut, because it shows that America does have that problem. U.S. transport officials have roasted a passenger online after they were caught trying to smuggle a gun onto a plane by hiding it inside a raw chicken. The foul plot was cracked by Transportation Security Administration officers at Florida's Fort Lauderdale Hollywood Airport. The traveler's weapon was spotted before boarding, stuffed inside the bird and wrapped in paper packaging. TSA had to say, there's a personal foul here. The plot chickens as we barrel our way closer to Thanksgiving. For us, it's time to be thankful that our officers are always on working around the clock to keep you safe. Take, for instance, this... Take this for instance. Can you believe it? Find a uh, can you can you believe it? Find it Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. We hate to beak it to you here, but stuffing a firearm in your holiday bird for travel is just a waste of time. This idea wasn't even half baked. It was raw, greasy, and obviously unsupervised. The only roast happening here is poor packing choice. Uh, feather you like it or not, there are rules for traveling with guns and ammunition, so don't wing it roast over the proper packaging info through a link in our bio bio. And all I have to say is this person obviously didn't know anything of that I use. And I find it just as easily stovetop stuffing because when you bake it, it just gets too crunchy. <laughs> oh, no, I like it cr- crunchy. I don't like it to be too, too, but uh, I mean, it, I, I don't uh, think I've ever come across a story that crammed so many puns into, into on, ugh, honestly. I mean, what were they thinking on I mean, just to, to bring a raw, Blooming chicken on there. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, unrefrigerated, it's going to mean. It's not going to be any good by the time you get there. No. Yeah, but the raw chicken wasn't a problem. That's legal. Where, yeah, yeah. Apart, unless you're going to Australia, in which case they'd probably they wouldn't let you in the country. No, that's true. Mm. Uh, well, and, and a lot of borders, don't they? They have uh, very strict rules about what can come into and go out of the country. But I must say it is actually very easy if you are licensed to transport a a handgun or a long gun on an aircraft. I I have done that, and it's not really a problem. So I don't understand why it was trying to be smuggled. True, true. (laughs) Throw it overboard like the turkeys is Richard Adams' answer to that. (laughs) As God is my witness, I swear I thought turkeys could fly. Yes, I mean, I think anybody can fly from that height for a little did you while. Ever see, did you have that show, WKRP in Cincinnati? No. Oh, okay. Uh, if, if, for those uh, from the USA who've seen the show, they'll get the reference. Okay. No, we, we have Park Radio, uh, Michael. <laughs> okay. There, there was an episode where they were distributing, uh, for Thanksgiving, they were going to distribute live turkeys from a helicopter, and they oh, threw wow. them out of the helicopter. Wow, okay. Um, turkeys didn't fly. Right. Surprise, surprise. Yes. Fair point. Well, well, just, just, to, just to cap this story off. I mean, we're, we're going to have a quite a poor, uh, Christmas in regards to turkeys and, um, stuff this year, aren't we, Matt, here in, in our part of the UK? Are we? Bird flu. Oh. Yeah. Can we shortage really... of turkeys? Right. Okay. Well, we, we've, yeah. already, we've, we're in stake. We don't, we don't, I do, mean, we're we going to have to do... find somewhere else to stuff our, stuff our, um, guns in when we go to the airport, Matt. Right. Well, why don't you just come here? I'll cook a turkey for you guys. <laughs> what, with <laughs> a gun inside? Oh dear. Well, no, I'll keep the guns are upstairs. Oh, lovely. Right. Okay. Well, that's, <laughs> that's cheery. Uh, 
Oh, oh wow, okay. Um, yes, there we go. Uh, can, can we move on for this story, please? It's driving me nuts. Right, let's move on then. <laughs> well, uh, great stories this week, uh, guys and girls. Well done. Uh, this uh, next part of the show we're going to move on to then is uh, following on from next. Uh, from, sorry, following on from last week's uh, segment we played out on the show, uh, where Armando got the chance to talk to Stuart Airy. Now, Stuart Airy uh, used to fly for the uh, Royal Flying Doctor Service over in Australia. And uh, we saw the first part last week, which was very interesting indeed. And we've got for you now part two of the interview. So roll VT. <coughs> the Flying Doctor Service nowadays enjoys a lot less privation than the Flying Doctor Service when I was there. We were a hand-to-mouth organisation. And the reason why is that, uh, you know, when when you were a, a predominant provider of aeromedical services to a predominant, predominantly one customer, which is the government, you know, you're in a, a situation where, uh, you know, <laughs> they are the client. Yeah. And uh, when governments don't do things right, when they're in a deficit situation, you suffer too. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much, I'd have to say, it's nearly 17 years I worked there. I'd have to say that that was, you know, a lot of the problems that we had. I'm glad to see that's not the problems that they had in the days of the Australian government, um, you know, both federally and in terms of state, understand the importance of that organisation. Mm. So they damn well should. Don't. I was always surprised that, you know, I lived over in the UK for six years and I was always surprised how the air ambulance services are privately funded or funded by donation, not funded by the government. Well, like in, their well, case. well in actual fact, the flying <coughs> doctor service does, does get donation. That does yeah. take donations. It's a charitable organisation. Yeah. But I agree, you know, it, it, it is surprising, that. isn't it? Yeah. So we had a run... In around about uh, 2004, 2005, where we, it, the, 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 the airline system was sucking up all of the people that they could. And of course, mm-hmm. <laughs> small operators, yeah. you know, or GA or aeromedical operators all suffer. Uh, and I have to tell you that those pilots that were there that period of time, they were just fantastic. Yeah. You know, to, to a person, yeah. they'd work there, they'd work extra, they'd jump in and do stuff. It, were, it was very restrictive. We couldn't do too much, okay? We couldn't vary too much. But I, my, I have the... But your day-to-day operations are so dynamic enough that you're... Yeah, but I have the most regard for those guys. Yeah. They are the best bunch of pilots ever. Yeah. They're committed. They'll do what they can. You know, and, and, you know, they, yeah, they'll have a grumble, you know, that's kind of normal. You know, that's, that's allowed. That's uh, everybody. But I, overall, it was, came back to funding. Yeah. Okay. I did a study in 2003, uh, on replacing the King Airs with, um, CJ3s. The reason why is that we found that the Cessna Conquest 2, the, uh, 441, was able to knock, we could knock 1,800 hours a year mm-hmm. into that airframe, okay? They were just, <clears throat> they were just bulletproof, okay? We didn't have any electrical problems. You know, the 
the Dash 8 engines that we had weren't particularly great, um, and occasionally they didn't they didn't work real real well. But overall, they were pretty tough. But they weren't made and weren't supported, so there had to be a decision made on what to replace them with. So the decision was made to go to the King Air, which was great. We got new build straight out of Wichita, fantastic. You know, had EFAS 84 and, you know, <laughs> and all the stuff in it. Uh, felt like you were driving a, felt like you were driving a big <laughs> aeroplane instead, instead of a, a Maserati, which the 441 mm-hmm. was. Uh, and, uh, we couldn't get the, we couldn't get the durability out. We don't go to 1,300 hours, which was just, we couldn't exist on that as an organisation because of the, the tightness of our budget. We were forced to minimise our expansion on the aeroplanes. So what I did was a bit of a study, and this is why they now have PC-24s. Some, I think they got them in 2018 or something yeah. like that. Oh, uh, uh, it, was, it was about... Um, 15 years late, but better late than never, I suppose. Well, the deal was that that the, the, the study was very comprehensive and it looked at all things like due to flight time limitations, um, maintenance costs, the whole, the whole lot. Okay. CJ3 came out the winner. Okay, at that time, that was what was available. It was new build. It was supported well by Cessna. We knew that Cessna were great. Cessna were great with product support. Fantastic. Go buy yourself a Cessna. If you, <laughs> if you, if you want a machine that's simple to fly yeah. and, 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 and easily maintainable at a reasonable price, get one. That's my advocacy. Uh, so basically, we worked out that the differential between the, the, the Beach 200 which we were operating um, on maintenance mm-hmm. and, and, the, and the differential and the cost of purchase of the Beach 200 and the cost of purchase of CJ3 was amortised in three years. And that included the maintenance on the CJ3. And I thought, this is a yeah. no-brainer. So put it up to the board, or the aviation manager put it up to the board, yeah. and uh, the board looked at it and went, okay. That's pretty good, but there was no money. Okay, so eventually they got some money and they did. They they, they went a different route and they they got um, something that didn't do what our predominant business was. Mm-hmm. Our business was um, Western Australia into hospital transfers, predominantly and emergency about eighty five fifteen and. Uh, they chose an aeroplane to do some remote island work and it kind of didn't really mm-hmm. work and that's why they had a PC-24s. Around about that time I thought, hmm, well, <laughs> it's maybe maybe it's time for me to go do yeah. something else, you know, when they made that decision. Yeah. Uh, so. But overall, I would have to say, you know, they are a fantastic organisation. And I've been, I've been wanting to ask you this since we met earlier in the week. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to give you two questions. Yep. In the RFTS, what was your most rewarding flight and what was your most harrowing or challenging flight? Okay. Um, I suppose my most rewarding flight really was 
I went to pick a lady up who was a, um, she worked in the Murchison, which is kind of inland and sort of northeast of Perth, West Australia. Uh, she was a haul pack driver. Um, and uh, basically, they weren't using the regular cat type haul packs with the, the dump trucks, mm-hmm. the dump on the back. The whole lot, they were using an articulated haul pack. And she was new on the job. And uh, she, uh, she, they just watered down the roads for the dust, and she got herself a bit fast going down a uh, ramp, and then it jackknifed on her, and the whole thing went over on, over two benches. And I don't know if you know what a bench is, but when you have the road it cuts down uh, and it sweeps down into the bottom of the pit where they're digging the, the gold out in this instance. Mm-hmm. Of the, uh, so she went over two benches. This thing bounced and kind of exploded everywhere and threw her out, fortunately, because apparently, I didn't go to the site, but apparently what was left of the truck, the nuts and bolts and you know some spare metal sort of sat down there. But unfortunately for her, she, they had uh, put, some, put, a, put a, a reinforcing spike uh, on the... The first bench, which is where it bounced, and she got thrown out of because I think she was knew it was out of control. Mm-hmm. Must have been trying to get out. I don't know. I, I didn't ask her. She was, <laughs> but uh, yeah, apparently uh, she 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 had a collapsed lung and uh, broken pelvis and various broken limbs, etc. We flew two airplanes up because there was other people who were you know bystanders that were injured as well. But apparently she had a full recovery and went back to work. Wow. So that's pretty good. Um, my worst, and I'd have to say my... Uh, I, I put this down to youth and stupidity, uh, was um, that uh, uh, I was actually on a day off and I was in Mekathara and uh, the on-duty pilot, because it was a very small base at that time, the on-duty pilot, he was off in the Cessna 441 flying around, and there was a Piper Navajo, uh, which we still had at that time, uh, that was available, and I got a phone call from our office centre and said, we have a priority one, can you, would you go and do that? Mm. Sure. Just roared out to the airport and Dr. David and, uh, and Linda, the flight nurse, I still remember. <laughs> so yeah. it was a short flight just down to, from Mekathara to Mount Magnet, so it's a real short flight. Yeah. You know, we're talking uh, yeah. 35, 40 minutes. Yeah, maybe. Can't even recall nowadays. But, um, so we went down there, ambulance met us at the airport because the town doctor had gone away. That's how small the town is. Like, they're tiny, <laughs> these towns. He'd gone away for the weekend, wasn't available, and there was a kid, little baby with meningitis. So I don't know if you know much about uh, meningitis. There's uh, a couple of different varieties. Uh, there's, uh, anyway, the, the, the bad one, apparently, I'm not much of a medico myself, because I'm not a medico, mm-hmm. but there's meningococcal meningitis. So this baby apparently had been to the local hospital, 
they'd sort of said, well, you know, you, you, you get the flying doctor service. So we went down there and, uh, you know, obviously their parents were there and kind of, you know, fairly distraught. And um, by the time we got there, the, you know, poor, poor little kitty was uh, probably, yeah, not too good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I suppose I made the stupid move of, because the doctor was, a, he's a great doctor, Dave. You know, I said, look, don't worry too much. You know, I think I think it'll be okay. You know, Dave's a pretty good doctor. And, uh, and they were sort of a bit reassured, but then it didn't work out that way. Yeah. And uh, there was a lesson in that for some young idiot, and that is shut your mouth. So we, you know, flew the, the, I flew the crew back. We sort of sat down on the edge of a curb, actually, and had a beer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. happens. It does. Yep. It happens many aspects of aviation, yeah. including the military. Yeah, there's Ooh. plenty. <clears throat> oh, I know. Yeah. Uh-huh. Plenty of flights where, yeah. uh, you know, I've, I've said it before, one, one of the most helpless feelings I've ever had in my life was was in the Middle East in combat or watching a, a British Puma crash. Yeah. You know, and, and we were doing yeah, it's Overwatch. Yeah, quite horrifying, isn't it? Yeah. From a Pilates, actually. We were doing Overwatch. Um, mm. And uh, as we're watching the team go in and we watch this, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. There's not, It's just the worst feeling in the world. Yeah, it is. And then you know, as a team, you're going to end up back together at, at, at your base. In our case, it was Balad Air Base, mm. and that's exactly what we did. We, you know, we uh, met up with, with the British team that that uh, had gone in that night. You know, sort of to kind of debrief the whole night, and we mm. did it over over beers. And you know, we we did lose a couple people that night, and, and you, know, you, you you cry, you hug each other, you. Hmm. These well, small scenes, like the I, that's scene, that's right? the thing, and that's the beauty of you know uh, flying doctor service work. You know, it's real team stuff. Yeah, um, you build bonds with people, and there's a level of trust. Okay, so if if yeah, if you absolutely. if you have the doctor in the back say, "Get us on the ground ASAP," you know it's real. Yeah. Okay, because you work with these people. Okay, you work in that base. You live with these people. Okay, you go to, you know, you make up reasons to have barbecues and bullshit. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's what you do because you're living in remote small towns. If you don't do it, it's not going to happen. You know what yeah. I mean? So, so okay, so that actually brings up, I think, kind of one, one probably the last question we're at it or close to time. But so now you know you're flying for a mission for a purpose. You know, there's somebody hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, as a pilot, balance the urgency of the mission mm-hmm. with risk management, with safety, with those mm-hmm. things? Yeah, that was how that was first and foremost. That? Okay, so what we what we used to do was we had a little bit of a top down um, system, and that was that we had. Uh, uh, a, a role which uh, I think a lot of organisations uh, should have, which is an operational supervisory pilot. And at the time, it was predominantly Michael, the chief pilot, myself as deputy, and uh, uh, Peter Smith, who was uh, one of the senior training and check 
guy. We would rotate it. Mostly it was Michael and I, and Peter would get involved and Michael went out of the loop. So every week about, we would be available 24-7, okay? And the way that what what we did in that 24-7 duty period was predominantly after hours. Mostly during hours, it can be handled by ops because it's daylight. But after when when the sun goes down, the world changes. Yeah, and that's when the vampires come out and can bite us. Mm. So uh, we uh, had a filtration system on how we would task. Uh, pilots. So, for instance, if a new newbie came in and he was, you know, three to six months into the job, then we would consider him, you know, as a uh, put a put a glass ceiling on him. He's not going past a uh, certain category of airstrip. So, a category one airstrip, for instance, would be Dallas Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. A category two airstrip might be uh, something like. Um, Colorado Springs, like we just did. Oh, no, 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 no. That'd be Cat 1 in, oh. in Australia, <laughs> uh, Category 1. Well, we had a category yeah. system, but a Category 2 might be, you know, decent long runway, yeah. but because it's unsealed, it becomes a, a Category 2. Okay. Okay? It may or may not have a NAVO. Um, mm-hmm. In those days, it was predominantly NAVO. It's all over had GPS. Mm-hmm. Are now, um, still. Um, and... Uh, a category three is anything that doesn't uh, fit in a criteria which it has a cutoff. So it's all the little um, bush airstrips, the, the um, airstrips that have uh, hills, for instance. So mm-hmm. you could have a decent airstrip, a sealed and everything, and it's got hills in close proximity to yeah. the airstrip. So, for instance, a Denmark in Western Australia, perfectly good airstrip, nothing wrong with it, but it's got some hills that are wrapped around it. Mm-hmm. So you actually have to have a procedure to go over the top of it. And that's what we had for each of these airstrips, all 750 of them, the procedure you are to, to adopt to go into the airstrip. So we had a real SOP, and it was the crew's lifeline. And if the crew weren't suitable to go into that place, what we'd do is crew substitute. So we had a series of bases. We had the main base in Perth in Western Australia, and in Western Australia, all these bases existed. Then we had uh, Kalgoorlie, which is a regional gold mining area. Mm-hmm. And then we had Mekathara, which uh, previously was a regional gold mining area, but it's pretty depleted out. But it was about midway. And then we had uh, Port Hedland, which is up in the Pilbara, which is all iron ore mining. And then up in the far north, in the, in the, uh, the cattle country, uh, we had uh, Derby, or the English people would call it Derby. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> it's Derby. <laughs> and, and so what we would do is we would fly the aeroplane from, say, Derby to a remote desert area with an experienced pilot, okay? The other pilot here would remain on, on, on call or tasked to do another job. So that way, what we did was we get we we would um, kind of grade them on experience in terms of you know the, the experienced guys got the worst jobs and the worst conditions. So we did put a filter on that. Opposite alert us that we had this uh, cat three strip at night. You know we've got this guy on call, and then we'd say, well oh, no, hang on, let's let's alter the plan, let's do it this way. Or can it be rode? 
can we get them rotated to this place, which is relatively nearby where they have pilot-activated lighting, mm-hmm. they have a um, metal strip, etc. So there's a lot of risk mitigation and stuff that went on from top, yeah. okay? From the pilot's perspective, we equipped them by taking them out um, every year and doing limited flare path landings. So we're talking six flares. We take them out to a, a remote aerodrome, which was like a black hole, and everyone would get to do it. Mm-hmm. So if we were in, say, in my case, I was in Port Hedland, okay, and I'd, I'd take a bunch of guys out in an aeroplane, we'd go out to Marble Bar, wait until it reaches out to the uh, east of uh, Port Hedland, and it's out of town. There's no ambient light, no nothing. Uh, we'd wait until the um, sun went down. We'd lay the flare path out once the sun went down. Yeah. So, and off we'd go. Yeah. And we'd, we'd fill the aeroplane up full of gas yeah. and we'd go and burn the gas, basically, and, 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 get, rid, and get, get them all cut. Yeah. So, you know, when I was there, there was um, three other pilots and then there's, there's five pilots in that base now. Um, and uh, that's what they do each year. Yeah. And the other thing that we used to do was we had a, a fairly strict training and check regime. Very, okay. Where I work now is pretty pretty uh, relaxed mm-hmm. compared to uh, that, that background. And uh, I suppose, uh, I mean, someone told me when I was almost out the door, you do know that your nickname is the Terminator. <laughs> uh, oh, great, thanks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, lovely. But um, but uh, we had we had three checks a year that we did. Okay, so we had the um, the instrument rating, command instrument rating was called in those days back there. So the instrument proficiency check. We had the we had a base check, which was a mini instrument proficiency check, and then we had a a a, 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 a route check. So basically. The training check guy sits in the right seat, just observes what's yep. going on, how you're going about the business, what you do, you know, yeah. ask, ask questions about systems and this and that. And the other. So yeah. it was pretty strict. Similar yeah. to what we do in uh, in Part 135, yeah. instrument check, uh, yeah. GFR competency, and then there's a little yeah. check. Mm-hmm. Can you do the job? Type yeah. yeah, yeah. And that, and that kind of risk management. Um, as you were kind of mentioning it, I, I think it's important, you know, now as there's uh, hiring in aviation, there's people getting into aviation jobs and there's, mm-hmm. and, and then there's the, the corporate private side of the house. Mm-hmm. I think it's easy uh, to get rushed. It's easy on the corporate yeah. side of the house to have that mm-hmm. your primary uh come to you or your company or your CEO if you're flying. I think both of us fly with the CEOs of companies. Correct. And they're always trying to rush you, rush you, rush you, or or it's a lot of uh, like we you know, hurry up and wait. You're, you're waiting for four hours yeah. and then they say, hey, we're 20 minutes out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always think back to, you know, my military background, your RFDS background, where, where you have that sort of, you can't rush me. Hmm. Like, don't rush me. Don't rush me. Yeah, I, 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 I've, got, start making... I've, I've got to got to say, I've, I have a view that you know when you close that 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 door and you turn left to get into the cockpit, yeah. it all stops. Yeah, your personal problems. I mean, some are insurmountable to some people, 
But if you've got minor issues like, you know, the dog needs to be going to the vet or, you know, yeah. you know, your, your, your wife's you, and you've had an argument that morning, forget it. Yeah. It stops. It has to stop because it's really important to make sure that you look after the people in here. They're your family mm. right now, okay? Whether yeah. you like it or not, they are your family. You put them first. Okay, you put yourself first, the safe side of things. You put, <laughs> yeah. you put the safety of the yeah. aircraft uh, 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 next, okay, and they will follow. Yeah. That's the way it is. I always had a, I always had a, uh, a, a view that, and Peter Smith and I talk about this often, when we were checking pilots and training them and stuff, and if we weren't happy to put our own families in the back of that person, exactly. that was it. They were done, yeah. okay, and normally I got to do the, you know, hatching and dispatching. So, but, you know, at the end of the day, really, I mean, that's what it's about. Yeah. And that's why we're tough on ourselves as aviators, you know. You've got a fairly interesting background and lots of experience that's like just out of the box. Yeah. Uh, well, and it's... And it's um it's special to be able to project that kind of assertiveness mm. to the client yeah. and say to them. And present it in a yeah. way that's. Yeah. Trust me, if I don't want to be in it, yeah. you don't want to be yeah. in it. Yeah. You want to get home. Yeah. I want to get home. Yeah. We both want to get home. And say I, think, I think one of the, yeah. one of, one of the critical um, key words that I use is I'm not safe. We all want to be safe. We all want to go home. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm not prepared to go there, please, you need to trust my judgment yeah. as a professional aviator. Yeah. We're not going there. And, it, and, I, and if they insist, then I, if, I've never had anyone actually get past that point. If they did yeah, insist, I'd say, I, I'm yeah. sorry, I can't help you. I'm, <clears> yeah, gonna walk, I'm going to walk away and I'll do that right now. I think it's important for young pilots to get some experience and find that balance because yeah. uh, as you're getting into the industry, especially on the corporate and the, and the mm-hmm. private side of the house, yeah. um, I think it's easy to be influenced by your, by your primaries um, and your clients to make decisions that you wouldn't otherwise. Well, you don't want them being the decision maker of what happens up front Absolutely, when right. you're sitting in the back. You wouldn't tell them how to run their company, right? Nope. <laughs> no, because yeah. they're not going to tolerate that. Yeah. So, yeah, look, that's, that's, uh, I, I suppose it, at the moment it's a really, really hugely, uh, uh, there's a huge demand for pilots out there. And it kind of bothers me a little bit that we've got to the point where, you know, there's some, I see, you know, we share a facility mm-hmm. where we currently are with a, with an airline and yeah. I kind of look across and go, <laughs> Whoa, yeah. you know, uh, look, not knocking them. Everyone starts, and they've obviously got really? their fifteen hundred hours and stuff like that. But uh, uh, I don't know. I I'm, you know, yeah. have my misgivings. You know, there's nothing, nothing like a good training and check system to keep people yeah. in on the straight and narrow. Uh, I get a little bit worried when I think about some of the small corporates out there. Um, oh, yeah, and some of these we're, regional we're, airliners. We're, we're one of them. So that's, I come from that sort of, you know, 
from yeah. a frame of reference. So uh, I, I, I don't say a lot, <laughs> but when I need to, I can't say, yeah. Yeah, okay, enough. Well, I'll tell you what, we, we, I didn't prep you for this. So we always finish with one question, mm-hmm. which is, if money was no object. Mm-hmm. No object. No object whatsoever. Okay. And you could fly any airplane in the world, uh, past, present, or future, what airplane would that be? Well, um, I actually always thought it would be fantastic to uh, get in a tornado <laughs> and go three to four hundred <laughs> feet above the ground in yeah. ground hugging mode and, and rip along and you know at some horrible speed. But yeah. Yeah. That would be that would be great. Yeah. That would be I mean cool. I think there's always this, there's there's always the speed freak in all of us as pilots. I mean <laughs> I, I, yeah. I worked with a guy um by the name of Bolt who was an ex squadron leader and flew Mirages in the Royal Australian Air Force. And uh, he's a pretty good guy, actually, very, very laid back. Anyway, uh, we were talking about this relativity of speed, and uh, he, he, I said to him, you know, oh, blah, 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 something about speed. Uh, you know, it's all in proximity to the ground. He said, well, I'm not quite so. He said, we used to fly from Butterworth in Malaysia to Singapore in, in the, in, in the, um, in the Mirage. Uh, at uh, Mark 2.1 or whatever it did. <laughs> and he said at 50,000 feet, Kuala Lumpur was going past pretty yeah. fast. <laughs> so, yeah. That, that, that would have been a good class. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you Great. so much. Awesome. Thanks. And thank you. And thanks for being my sim buddy. Absolutely. We're going to make it through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got your number. <laughs> Discover the pioneers of speed and adventure at one of the UK's most iconic museums. Whether it's a tour of the legendary Concorde, a walk around the Brooklyn's aircraft factory, or maybe a behind-the-scenes look at the McLaren automotive cars, the Brooklyn's Museum has it all. Based at Weybridge in Surrey, it's the perfect day out for all the family. We can also host your private function or meeting in one of our amazing event suites. With so much to see and do, come and take a look at Great Britain's history of speed and flight. Find out more by going to www.brooklandsmuseum.com or give us a call on 01932. 857381. That's 01932 857381. Now, I've got to say, I think that's a first that somebody's chosen favourite aircraft was the Tornado. Yeah, that is. A first. I, I feel that's the first. That. Yeah, that's yeah. the first time I've heard that. So that's that's quite refreshing to hear. And I think I think he's absolutely on the money there, isn't he? It's that ability, you know. So you, you're literally licking along at like 400 feet. Just, oh just, God, yeah. You know the speed that that must be. That must be quite a rush. Yeah, it's it's uh, one that I definitely haven't heard before in all no. the times that we've interviewed mm. uh, people on there. But it's it's been a great uh, little. Uh, little sort of segment that Armando yeah, put together there absolutely. and I, I did notice as well that that bottle of scotch did um, decrease in fullness <laughs> through the whole interview right yes I, I'm sure he'd deny that if you challenged him directly on it obviously mm. indeed well it is hard to talk aviation without a little uh, oh I don't know lubrication I suppose yeah Mark's saying he worked yes. on a t- uh, what, what, he worked on a tornado a really good aircraft apparently well, there you go hmm there we go, Mark on WhatsApp. Right, okay. Uh, right, we, so we need to do some military. Yes, we do. It's time for the military news, and this week it's brought to us by Armando. So, Matt, roll the BT. Watch up, buggies, 135, 50, Angel 16, 340. 
Hey guys, this first military story is from the airforcetimes.com. Just this week, um, so nobody was hurt when a military plane crashed on Monday in Mississippi, south of an Air Force base that uh, conducts quite a bit of flight training. This was a T-38 Talon aircraft, uh, crashed about 1 p.m. on Monday, roughly 20 uh, miles south of Columbus Air Force Base, according to their public affairs office. Uh, they told the Associated Press that the, bl- the plane was based at the Columbus facility, which is in northeast Mississippi, which is exactly where I find myself right now. I'm uh, right flying all over Mississippi today. A brief statement from the base said that the T-38 Talon had suffered an in-flight emergency. Uh, the pilot, whose name was uh, not released, was taken to a local hospital. According to Colonel Jeremy Bergen, the 14th Flying tra- uh, tra- Training Wing Vice Commander, he said, uh, we continuously train our pilots to react appropriately for all emergency situations as the incident occurred uh, today. Uh, we're thankful that the pilot ejected safely. We appreciate the continued support of the Columbus Air Force Base community and our community partners. Obviously, this crash is going to be under investigation now. Uh, Columbus Air Force Base, like I said, is home to the 14th Flying Training Wing of the Air Education and Training Command. Um, that's 19th Air Force. This wing, this organization as a whole, has on average 260 flights each day on three parallel runways. Um, now, this is the T-38 is the advanced aircraft that uh, pilots go to, so they start uh, uh, undergraduate pilot training in the T-6 Texan II turboprop, and then depending if they're going to different uh, to fighter aircraft or single-seat aircraft, they'll move on to the T-38, or if they're moving on to some of the larger reconnaissance or transport aircraft, then they move over to the T-1 Jayhawk, which is uh, pretty much a beachcraft. But um, by all accounts, a, a pretty difficult airplane to fly, um, not overly difficult, it's a, it is a trainer, but with 260 flights a day, you can imagine that the uh, the increased risk of, of the training environment. Um, so we'll keep an eye out for this and see if the Air Force, uh, you know, does something with the fleet or if it was, you know, just a, a training situation where they need to uh, sort of reevaluate how they're they're going to uh, do whatever operation this pilot was doing. I mean, yet another incredible location, let's be honest with you, that he's uh, doing our segments from. Uh, absolutely astounding. I assume that's in the sort of the back of the aircraft this time. Yeah, I had, I had to Google that, the T-38 Talon, because I thought, oh, what, you know, I was trying to think what it looked like. But now I actually can see what it looks like. I don't know if I can... Um... If you know, you know, it's uh, it's an older aircraft. It uh, it was produced from 1961 to 1972, and it's a trainer aircraft. And and it's so old, in fact, that uh, that's where uh, where Captain Je- Captain Jeff inst- trained on and was an instructor on as well. Um, but it is supersonic, and uh, and and Jeff said in the chat room that that base where that this took place, that's where he, uh, he trained and uh, and where he was an instructor. Nice. So we've got next story uh, from Armando, and uh, Matt, do you want to roll the video? Mm. This next story is an interesting one. Uh, mechanics may have accidentally forced the Air Force to ground more than 100 C-130s. Um, a long-time practice by Air Force mechanics is potentially the likely reason that propeller blades on C-130 uh, Hercules have been cracked, leading to more than 100 aircraft being grounded in late September. 
uh, mechanics using electric arc pens to etch numbers into the propeller barrels during inspections have actually caused some of the issues, according to an Air Force spokesperson to military.com. Now, that, that practice was obviously once discovered, stopped several months ago. Um, an Air Force spokesperson, Major Bo Downey, said that the process used to engrave serial numbers on the propellers caused the cracking that is being found on C-130Hs. That process, as we said, was stopped about six months ago and will not be used going forward. So in total, 116 C-130Hs were grounded uh, from September, October at Robbins um, Air Force Base, or after a technician at Robbins Air Force Base in, that's outside of Atlanta, Georgia, noted that a crack in the propeller barrel assembly during an engine run check. So additional inspections showed that no uh, sorry, that two other propeller assemblies also had cracks. This led to the service ordering these what this widespread one-time inspection on some of its older C-130Hs. The, prof, the process to fix the propellers is complicated and, according to the Air Force, will take some time. Um, this will all be done at the uh, depot at Warner Robins Air Logistics Center. Um, that's where they receive unserviceable propeller blades they uh, refurbish them and then, you know, inspect them, overhaul them, test them, and then and then ship them back out. Obviously, this is a pretty complex inspection, and these repairs cannot be conducted at the unit level, so at any of the bases has to be done there at Warner Robins. So as of mid-October, the Air Force had returned two airplanes to service. Not yet clear how long it's going to take Air Mobility Command to replace the propeller assemblies on all these affected C-130Hs. Uh, similar Issues have popped up for C-130s in the past. Um, more than 100 of the uh, cargo aircraft were temporarily removed from service after wing cracks were discovered during routine maintenance in August of 2019, and I was actually still uh, in the Air Force for that. Earlier that year, 60 C-130Hs were taken out of service to examine and, rep and replace engine propeller blades that inspectors had deemed dangerous because they'd been manufactured before 1971. Um you know, and, and, and this is, we've talked about this with the grounding of the CV-22 Ospreys with the hard clutch engagements, the grounding of the F-35s for ejection seat issues, uh, T-38s, T-6s have all been uh, grounded over the past year, really, because of the quality of these inspections that are happening and the airmen that are out there, you know, discovering these potential failure points. Um, so pretty common issue. Obviously, it, it, it affects training and affects operations, but at the end of the day, I'd rather be talking about aircraft being grounded and expensive fixes than, than talking about airplane crashes. So we'll see how this goes for the C-130 fleet also. Again, an incredible view. <laughs> Love this. It's, uh, what is, what was the, remind me, what is the aircraft that he flies again? What the uh, which? What do you mean the one that he flew when he was based here? No, the one that he's flying. The, the one that he's flying where where the video. Oh, the, the yeah. PC twelve. Oh, it's the PC twelve, is it? Yeah, the Pilat uh, Pilatus. Uh, the Pilatus. Is that how you're supposed to say it, or is it, or is Pilatus. that just how Carlos? Uh, how, how Pilatus. Pilatus. Right. Okay. Very good. Very good. So the C one thirty H initially delivered in 1964 so mm. it's got quite a good uh, uh, heritage um but they they brought out an improved c-130h introduced in 1974 but um i'll just pop a quick quick picture up on the screen there just in case anyone wants to have a look look there 
of the... Right. Hopefully that's worked. No, it hasn't, mate. No, it hasn't. No, it's no. not worked. We can oh, see the well. chat room. That's nice. We can see the <laughs> chat room. Oh, it's, uh, how handy that it's not worked. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 well, that's one of my favourites. Actually, talking about the C-130, there was a C-130 came over yesterday whilst I was out cleaning my truck. Oh. And it was literally so low, I could have wiped the undercarriage with my hands. It was that low. But it made for it made for a good show for me anyway because I was outside at the time. So, um, but awesome noise when that came over, and that's one of the good things that, that we're lucky at where me and Matt live here in the UK. We do have fantastic access to lots of live aircraft flying around. Anyway, Matt, next story from Armando, the third one. Run that VT. And then this last military story is from Space.com. I figure it's Air and Space Force. Uh, we're going to be space talking UK in a few years anyway, so we might as well start talking about it. This uh, U.S. military's X-37 space plane just went past 900 days in orbit. Uh, the X-37B is a robotic space plane, unmanned, uh, just past 900 days in orbit on its latest not-so-open and kind of hush-hush mission, according to the program's flight duration record. The current mission is the sixth for the X-37B program and is therefore known as OTV-6, Orbital Test Vehicle. It launched on May, tw- uh, May 17, 2020 from Cape Canaveral Space Station in Florida. And uh, who knows when it's going to end. <laughs> OTV-6 is the first of uh, X-37B to use a service module to host experiments. The service module is an attachment. You think back to the old uh, space shuttle an attachment after the vehicle that allows additional experimental payload capabilities to be carried into orbit. Uh, the mission also de- deployed a satellite called Falcon Sat 8, the small satellite developed by the U.S. Air Force Academy and the students and staff there, sponsored by the Air Force Research Lab to conduct, to conduct several experiments in orbit. In addition, there were two NASA experiments on board the space plane to find the studies or to study the results of radiation and other space effects on materials. Um, and seeds used to grow food. So the technology testing, the U.S. Naval Research Lab also has an experiment on board the space plane evaluating some technology to transform solar power into radio frequency microwave energy. Um, that experiment, called the Photovoltaic Radio Frequency Antenna Module, or the PRAM, continues to crank out data, according to an electronics engineer and researcher at the Naval Research Lab. Uh, very technical term, they said, it's just chugging along in space. The longer we're up here, the more we learn, they said. So, there you go. Uh, if you look at the X-37B, I didn't really know too much about this airplane. Um, I know they are in museums somewhere. You can uh, you can see them or you can see mock-ups of them. But most of these airplanes, uh, the first six, or sorry, the first five, range anywhere from 224 days for the first one all the way up to 780 days. Uh, for the fifth one, and then now this sixth one is is self-sufficient up to you know over 900 days, and will eventually make a landing back in uh, probably Vandenberg Air Force Base, California, or maybe Edwards Air Force Base. So there you go. That's maybe the way of the future. So long-term travel into space. It's uh, if you look at it, it pretty much looks like a mini space shuttle. So we'll see how this um, goes. Thanks for that, uh, 
Armando, as always, he's, uh, he, I tell you, even when he's not here, he's still, uh, good at producing <laughs> the, uh, producing the goods, as I know, we say. I know, an incredible, uh, incredible location again. I, I, I cut, yeah. You, you've had a fly in the Pilatus, haven't you? See, I, yeah, I, I know. I've, I've not had the privilege yet. It's, it's amazing, honestly. It, it is such an amazing experience to be able to, uh, to, to sit in the back is just, it's nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Quite, I mean, yeah. sitting in the front and it is fantastic, but I mean, that yeah. those, those seats are very comfortable in the back. Right? Indeed. Indeed. Say. Indeed. So the next part of the show, we've got one little snippet left to play from the Jersey air show. It's the last bit of uh, video that we've been have done uh, from the air show. And it's safe to say that this particular piece of video was taking or taken um, in the evening before the air show when we were at the uh, meet and greet and we had drinks and stuff. And um, it's safe to say that we'd had a few glasses of wine between ourselves, me and Nev, and all of a sudden Nev disappeared. And um, Matt, this is where he went. <laughs> well, here we are. It's the night before the Jersey Air Show and I'm with Sarah and Mandy. Ladies, what are you doing here? <laughs> We are doing the marshalling this year, but we normally come as medics. We've got a team of 16 of us uh, for, I would think we're all here for about a week. And obviously we come every year. I think we, most of us have been here 20 years on the run now. Really? So yeah, I think we got grandfather's rights now. And what started all this off? Um, Di Davis actually started it off. She was coming to start with, with the TAs. And because they did such a good job, then they said, can you put a team together? So Di Davis put a team together, Diane Davis put a team together, and hence we had uh, a team of doctors, nurses, uh, paramedics, paramedic, admin, everyone. And hence, for 20 years, we've all enjoyed coming, and we've all enjoyed the banter with That Jersey. is amazing. And how many of you take part in this? At the moment... This year, I think we had 16 or 18 of us this year, but we normally have a, a team of 22. But um, we're a bit lower this year because, hence, they just wanted us to do the um, steward, not stewarding, uh, volunteering, and uh, yeah, they just yeah. wanted to do some martial this Marshall. year. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, yeah. Gotcha. That's That's it. It. So, but same job. We sit here for the same reason. We love it. We've got a lovely team. Obviously, we all enjoy. We like part of the family. Mr. Higgins will tell you that. Yeah. But we are the Welsh medics. And we're obviously Welsh. Yeah. Come from Wales. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, what a great story. And uh, you do this every year. You've yes. done it every year now. Every year. Yeah. 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 You missed one year with the COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. But it seems like everything's back as it was before. Yeah. Like, now, has anyone we... questioned what's the weather going to do tomorrow? Well, we've looked we at the forecast and it looks really nasty for tomorrow. It's a, it's a bit variable, isn't it? Yeah. I, would say. <laughs> I would say tomorrow, just hit and miss, get the wellies yeah. out and get the yeah. wet max on. Yeah. Wet max on, umbrellas, yeah. Yeah, definitely. no winds. Well, well, these events can't happen without people like you, so I'm sure that everybody would say how grateful they are for all the effort that you put into it. Thank it's you. absolutely Thank fantastic. You. Thank you. Thank you very much. We enjoy it. It's our pleasure. Yeah. It's great to meet you as well. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. How did you manage to get Nev's face the same color as that woman's shirt? <laughs> Lots of planning. Lots of planning. <laughs> Lots of wine. Uh, anyway, 
<laughs> oh really? Oh, not not on not Merlot on that occasion. No, no, no. Uh, there was there was we had a good offering of of wines. Very there. good. Okay, it's very good. Uh, right, so it's competition time then. So last week Nev set the uh, the the question uh, for you to answer on the show um, to win the chance or get the chance of winning that book uh, signed. Hold on, let me just, I'll just, Chris Burwell's book, there we go, I'll just lock my show notes, went all round sky high. Oh, did they, oh, did. <laughs> the uh, book from Chris Burwell, a signed book. Yeah. And, uh, Nev set the question, uh, to answer. So I've got, um, the answers here written on pieces of paper. So Have I'm going to pop, I'm going to pop well, those in. He's taking his hat off everyone. This is I know. A scary. I need a hair, I'm getting yeah. a haircut Sunday. Don't oh, worry. Yeah. All right. Um, so I'll put the num not the numbers. I'll put the uh, the in this hat here. So I'm going to shake it around like this is just as good as what Matt does on air. On, on his- <laughs> shake it up. So right, I'll pick out a name from here, uh, and the winner of well, here we go. Let me just put this down. The winner of the signed book. There we go. I'll hold it up if you can see it on the camera. There we go. Scott, Scott Nickel. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Scott Nickel. So, Scott Nickel, if you are listening, as as you probably are of the show as an mm. audio podcast, I think, uh, send us uh, an email, or I'll probably ping you an email as well this week, just to let you know. Send us your address, yeah. and uh, uh, Nev will post that yeah, book out absolutely. to you uh, straight away. So, well done to away, you, yeah. Roger. Uh, sorry, it's uh, Scott Nichols. Sorry, uh, well done. <laughs> you were going to say Scott. Roger that, weren't you? That's what you were going to say. Yeah, Roger that. <laughs> so, well done, Scott. Uh, yeah. The book is yours. We're going to run another competition next week for another book as well. Yeah. So, make sure you stay tuned to uh, to find out more details on that as well. There's some fabulous books in 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 the Grub Street Grub Street, Street. collection that we've yes, been saying, doesn't Yeah. Yeah, we've got some really, really good quality books, mm. all aviation-themed, obviously, uh, for the chance to win. So uh, next week, we'll set another question for another book for your chance to win. So make sure you tune in next Friday to the show. Indeed. So social media links, then. Where can you find us on the interweb? So you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, just search for Plain Talking UK. That WhatsApp number, if you want to send us an audio message or a video message or just text us a message, uh, feedback to the show, it's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. If you want to email the show, send your feedback in, you can email us podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and don't forget to check out our website all the w's.plaintalkinguk.com where you can find the links on there to paypal if you want to become a paypal uh, donator or become a uh, uh, donate a fryer patreon there's also the shop on there as well where you can find links to purchase yourself a ptuk mug and uh, we've also got some t-shirts as well if you want to grab yourself a ptk t-shirt uh, you can do via the links on the website and all the other info is on there as well you can find out more about us and all the team here at ptuk don't forget to subscribe to us as well on youtube and uh, also that amazon link on there if you do your shopping on uh, on amazon and while you were talking about feedback there actually we've got a great piece that we're looking forward to sharing with you next week uh, which is called sylvia in the mig 15 so we'll be sharing that with you on next week's program very much looking forward oh, to that as a bit of matt, feedback i'm gonna have to pop this up matt oh yeah oh dear 
Grey. What does that mean? Mugs. <laughs> oh, I see. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, the grey mugs are ready. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't put the link on the... <laughs> There's a reason why I haven't put the link on, on the website yet. Um, oh. Which I, I, I won't bore you with uh, on air. We'll we'll discuss that later. But okay, uh, yeah, indeed. I, I have yeah. a feeling, Matt, that when you do get this link on the website <laughs> for the grey mugs, I have a feeling that there'll be a lot of grey mugs purchased. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we yeah, we just need to work out how we just need to sort of work out the pricing and stuff like that, basically. So right, so that is where we are going to bring episode 433 to a close. going to say a big thank you to Micah, our main man hey. Micah for joining us this evening. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's my pleasure. It's always great to visit with you guys and all your listeners. Brilliant, Micah. So for, for the benefit of anyone, I mean, if they don't know, then I'm highly disappointed. But if anyone uh, wants to find out where or where they can find you uh, online, where can they find our main man, Micah? Well, on occasion, I uh, join up with the Airplane Geeks and we'll be part of a show with them. Of course, uh, Brian Pasadena, Brian and I uh, have put together a show about his journey to get uh, lifetime 1K status on United, and that's called The Journey is a Reward, and you can always find that podcast uh, by looking that up on your favorite podcast catcher. And then you can find me directly, at least currently on Twitter. I, I don't have a white check mark, but uh, <laughs> but I'm still there and I'm uh, at Maine Fly. That's Maine like the state of Maine, M-A-I-N-E, Fly, like let's go fly at Maine Fly. Oh, thank you, Micah. Well, it's lovely to have you on board as always on the show. Don't forget to tune in next Friday where I'll be in the PTUK Master Suite studio. <laughs> probably late starting with credits not working, etc., etc., etc. Nev will be with me, hopefully. Uh, Armando, I don't know the Mundo. Armando is going to be with us next week, but we'll have a guest lined up next week, so don't panic. We'll be back next Friday. So I think, I'll tell you what, just for a change... We'll leave the end of the show sign-off to Micah this week. So, Micah, over to you to finish tonight's show. Well, it is a holiday here and uh, and over there. It's a shared holiday. We call it Veterans Day. You guys call it Armistice Day. And in other places in the world, it's Remembrance Day. So let's remember that what happened when we finally signed the peace accord on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. Have a good week, everyone. Mm-hmm.